electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. If you want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you a little money. My job, not just to entertain, but to put it in context. Call me, 1-800-743-CBC. Tweet me at Chip Kramer. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your tray tables up and your seatbacks in their full upright positions. We're about to land the plane. We're landing on Wall Street. We hope you enjoy your ride on PAL Airlines, and we do hope you will travel with us again. Yep, Fed Chief Jay Powell has engineered the fabled soft landing. He's tamed outrageously high inflation without crashing the economy straight into the ground. They didn't even need to phone the runway. In fact, I I bet most people won't even notice when the plane hits terra firma and the passengers will soon be on the jetway, with nobody thinking about how hard it was for the pilot to pull off such a smooth, soft landing. Maybe they'll thank him. Probably won't. But that's the reason why the market rallied today. I mean, really rallied. Dow gaining 490 points. S&P surging 1.9%. NASDAQ soaring 2.4%. How's the pleasure? This morning at 8.30 a.m., we got consumer price index data that shows we have at last, long last, left skyrocketing prices behind us. Something that very smart people, especially many a critical billionaire, repeatedly told us on air was impossible. Of course, some of these same people who said the Fed couldn't engineer a soft landing, that we'd have to crash the economy, are now trying to guess, a new guessing game, when inflation will go so low that the Fed needs to start cutting interest rates. <laughs> As someone who backed Pal to the hill every step of the way, even during the dark inflation days when so many others gave up on him, and even not-so-close watchers of this show know this about me, I'm not going to start playing that stupid game. It's enough that as a Home Depot executive expressed on their tour de force conference call, the inflation environment seems to be behind us. That verdict, aided by lean inventories and declining long interest rates, allowed that stock, which was emblematic of the entire rally, to catch fire. The despot rallied more than 5% today, despite reporting what some people thought was just an okay quarter. Remember, we judge by stocks by the future, not the past. And Home Depot's future is a lot brighter in a world without inflation and with lower mortgage rates, which is the world we have. Now, the consumer price index itself is an up two set of numbers. The month over month number showed zero inflation from September to October. The year over year inflation number was 3.2 percent, which was lower than expected. Core inflation, excluding food and energy, arguably the best way to look at it, was up 4 percent year over year. But if you looked at the five months ending in October, core inflation was at 2.8 percent annual rate. And that's pretty darn close to the Fed's 2 percent target. And I think it's only going to get better. Now, there are still some problematic lines. Nothing's perfect. Natural gas costs too high. Rent remains down like rent, although many others, like used cars, are plummeting. But you always need to look at these things as a continuum, and the continuum shows that inflation is going in the right direction. Hence, the cockamamie calls for the Fed to cut interest rates in some arbitrary period of time, like next February or March. These are ridiculous predictions. It's just a parlor game. 
and they're just staring at the yield curve and deciding, well, that's what's going to happen. People figure Powell will have to follow the yield curve and cut once long rates go too low. I think it's ridiculous. Powell doesn't need to do anything. He doesn't need to follow the yield curve. He's no more than the curve the whole darn time. He just doesn't beat his chest and tell you how great he is. Nor did he throw his helmet down when things were bad or rub his victory in your face when things are good. You don't see him make any of them feed me gestures. I spent last night and a lot of today prepping for our noon investing club meeting tomorrow, which I hope you'll join me on. And I want to point out that as crazy as it seems, we actually had a beat on this market for members based on something called a crescendo of selling, something we shared with you. And that's what we got on October 27th. If you go back in time to what we told you on October 26th, we said that things had gotten so ugly that we were approaching what I call a whoosh bottom where everyone who wanted to get out had already gotten out and there was nobody left to sell. This is called a crescendo, okay? A crescendo of selling. We said that on air, that the best way to play the crescendos were Microsoft, WM, Meta, P&G, GE, and ServiceNow. Not bad. Also talked about buying NVIDIA, Boeing, Adobe. By the way, NVIDIA and Apple own them, don't trade them, just for the record, because I haven't said that lately. Now, we isolated the whoosh by looking at pressure statistics, specifically the S&P oscillator, which, which shows you when buyers or sellers are overdoing it. When the oscillator's at zero, there's equilibrium. It tells you virtually nothing. When it's at plus five, the market's overbought, as it is now. And when it's at below minus five, the market's oversold, which is exactly where it was and where we had to stop selling for the travel trust and start buying aggressively. The crescendo was upon us. On October 25th, the oscillator gave you a reading of minus 6.82%, one of the most oversold postures of the year. The next day, the 26th, the oscillator checked in at minus 5.18. Sign the crescendo might be upon us, and yes, indeed, on the 27th, back to minus 5.89, and that was all she wrote. That was the sign that people were continuing to sell stocks too aggressively, and you could expect that whoosh higher when they were finished. And this is what a whoosh looks like. Crescendo sell. Whoosh bottom, boom. Now, we used to call days like today frontsy backsy days because the market rewards the stocks that had the most viciously, that were most viciously slugged on the way down. Stocks like an end phase, which seemed like a play on solar power, but turned out to be a play on borrowing money for solar panel installations. That got crushed when interest rates soared. Today, end phase, of course, therefore caught fire, more, up more than 16%. Same goes for some of the real estate investment trusts that have been crushed by higher rates. They turned around too. But the real winners, the home builders, D.R. Horton, Lennar, Tolls, these Pulte, they had been crushed by much higher mortgage rates than we expected. With long rates coming down, the future looks pretty darn bright for them. We saw something similar with fast-growing tech stocks that trade on their future earnings streams many years down the road. Less inflation means those future dollars will have more purchasing power so that soft CPI readings instantly make this whole cohort much more valuable. Lots of people ask if it's too late to buy stocks now that we're engaged in the, no, in the uh, soft landing process. My feeling is that the market can continue to go higher. But look, come on, the easy money always gets made when you keep your head and everyone else is losing theirs. And that's what happened in the whoosh. Since then, we've been around for weeks. We're no longer in a situation where everybody's panicking. No one can imagine a brighter future. So pick your spots, find aberrations, look for attenuated situations like companies that might benefit from a weaker uh, dollar, which suddenly is weaker, by the way, or from a possible thaw in our government's relationship with China now that she's visiting San Francisco. But the bottom line here, don't think you can get in on the actual plane's landing. To mix metaphors, that plane sailed in late October when so many investors decided it would crash. So they jumped off without a parachute. (laughs) 
That was the miraculous buying up. That was the crescendo. And now, even as I like the market, I can't tell you to hop on until we have a couple of down days and a lot more negativity and disbelief than we currently have. Judy in Washington. Judy. Jim, you're so awesome. I just had to join the club today. And thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> You're very Bye. kind. You're very kind, Judy. Thank you. I'm glad you joined. I know we got a special. Uh, I've been seeing the ads. We got like a special thing going. It looks good to me. Yes. What's up? So my question is about Elf. They had a great mm-hmm. quarter, but it's been selling off. Do you think that its reputation has been blemished by the short sellers report? Would you I, add or sell at this point? I like the stock. Uh, I'll tell you why I like it. I think that we have had Tarang Min on the whole way. He has been spot on. He has taken share and taken names. And these short sellers, they want it lower, but they're going to have to deal with the fundamentals. And the fundamentals are darn good. And thank you for joining the club. Big meeting tomorrow, 12 o'clock. People will be, I'll tell you, you're going to like it. You're going to like it. Bobby in Louisiana. Bobby. What's up, Jim? What's happening? That's a loose, that's a loose Cajun translation for booyah. Oh, man, I like that. Well, that's where it came. It came from Booyah. It came from New Orleans, where my daughter was in school. How can I help? Yeah. You often say, don't be afraid to take profits. Right. Uh, I want to trim my position in Coca-Cola at a profit and increase my position in realty income, which will greatly reduce my cost basis and double my dividends, roughly. My main belief is that realty income stock was going to outpace Coca-Cola stock. What's your opinion on that move? I, I like your call. I'll tell you why. Because I like that monthly dividend that real, real income gives you. And we have, we have letter O one of the times. Sumit Roy he does a fantastic job. They made an acquisition. I like the acquisition very much. I think you have game. And thank you for joining the show. How about Dan in California? Dan. Hello, Mr. Kramer. Thank you very much for taking my call. Of course. I have a, a question. At, well, actually, it's two questions on the same stock. One is Celsius is, is a stock, and I've noticed in the morning that thing dropped like a rock today and yesterday, and yet the market's up 500 points. And my second question is, would you recommend buying it at this point? Okay, so here's the problem. There are some numbers that came out that shows that there's a, even though it's just unbelievable, more than 100% gain, it's a, actually a deceleration from the previous quarter, and that's what people are shooting at. There's a gigantic short position on this thing. I think that PepsiCo made a real good acquisition in buying some Celsius, and I'm not going to go against the thing, but I've got to tell you, the shorts are pressing this thing down like there's no tomorrow, and I don't like battlegrounds, even as I believe in the end, Celsius wins. And now, even as I like the market, I can't tell you to hop on after this gigantic day with not a lot of negativity and disbelief. That's what caused the bottom, the whoosh bottom. And we saw a crescendo of selling, and that's passed. Oh, man, money. money. Tonight, according to the CDC, over 37 million Americans are living with diabetes. And with today being World Diabetes Day, I'm hearing from treatment leader Dexcom, which we've liked for a long time, about the company's doing to raise awareness and help patients. Then we have two new consumer health stocks on the street in the form of Halion and Kenview. But which of them do I think is right for you? I'm comparing them head to head. And some investors have chosen Tesla to invest in the future of smarter roads. I spotted one under the radar player that I think offers some very interesting solutions. Do not miss my exclusive with the CEO of Vera Mobility. So stay with Kramer.
Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Cramer on X. Have a question? Tweet Cramer. Hashtag Mad Mentions. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. Over the past few months, every stock related to diabetes has been obliterated thanks to the rise of these revolutionary new GLP-1 drugs for type 2 diabetes weight loss. Take Dexcom, which makes continuous blood sugar monitors that are practically essential if you've got diabetes. This stock tumbled from 139 and change in July down to $75 at its lows last month. That's kind of crazy. Then a few weeks ago, the company reported a fabulous quarter, which is why the stock has been able to rebound to 101 as of today. So how do we weigh the GLP-1 worries versus the tremendous numbers these guys are putting up? And how do they put up these great numbers? Let's take a close look with Kevin Sayer. He's a longtime uh, guest on the show and chairman, president, CEO of Dexcom. Learn more about how things are going. Mr. Sayer, well, Sayer welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you for having right, me, That's Kevin. Okay, first, before we get started, today is World Diabetes Day, and I want you to tell people how many people have this disease, and maybe more important, how many people may have it and don't even know they have it. The numbers are staggering. One in 10 people has diabetes around the world. And many people have prediabetes or will end up with type 2 diabetes and have no clue how it's progressing in their system. And it truly is one of the healthcare epidemics of the world right now. And the cost of it all, when you get into all the complications that follow with all these undiagnosed years and these untreated years, are also staggering. It's a huge problem. All right, so what's Dexcom doing to make things better? We've done a lot of things to make thing, the world better. I think continuous glucose monitoring is the biggest innovation in diabetes technology in a very, very long time. You see people now who couldn't control their blood sugars now know exactly what's going on. And what is happening with us, Jim, as we've been in New York on this trip, every place we go, we run into somebody who either has a Dexcom or has a relative who has a Dexcom. But they know what to do. They know what decisions to make. People on insulin in particular a life-saving and a life-threatening drug now know how to take it and how much and how it affects them. It, it is, it's made everybody healthier and safer. And, and just real quick, interestingly enough, I met some women who are in their 80s who wore the first Dexcom sensors back in the day, right. and I heard their stories and saw how healthy they were. 
because CGM had been introduced to their life, it, it, it gave me chills. Well, even the time since I first yeah. started interviewing your company and then you, I was going from something that seemed like, well, I don't know, I really want that because they don't have to at least prick my finger, to being something that's so small and I can use my iPhone. I mean, I, I see people do not, you have no awareness that they might, have, might be on Dexcom. None. No, no one knows. It, it is completely, in fact, one of the, for World Diabetes Day, we had our Dexcom warriors here today ring the NASDAQ bell, and I always ask customers, tell me what we can do better. And she said, you've made it too small. I don't even know I'm wearing it anymore, Perfect. and I'm going, I can, I can live with that. Well, we thought the GLP-1 was overstated initially, and then it just kept going, going, going. And I, I started thinking, well, wait a second, the GLP-1s and Dexcom would be powerful partners to be able to be sure that, that my health was good. Very powerful partners. In fact, as we've dug into this data, we've learned that people with diabetes go on a GLP-1 if they use a Dexcom sensor combined with the GLP-1, the outcomes are much stronger. They do much better because it tells them what's going on. It tells them what they're doing. It, well, how about these people who say, listen, diabetes is going to be gone because of GLP-1? Diabetes isn't going to be gone, and, and, and metabolic health disorders aren't going to be gone either. Right. You know, we believe uh, at Dexcom, and we announced in June we were going to file a product this year with the FDA for non-insulin users. We're on schedule to file that, and we'll launch that product next year. For non-insulin users. For so who are we talking users. about? We're talking about who? We're, we're talking about GLP-1 users. Yes. We're talking about type 2 diabetes. We're talking about somebody who wants a view into their health and, and what happens to their glucose based on their lifestyle. You can learn a tremendous amount. I've shown you my sensor graphs over the Oh, years. I know. And you've always been telling me this is a way for a patient to, to really take care, take control of their lives. Now, a lot, there was an article in the journal yesterday about how uh, there are analysts no longer say congratulations. Ten. Congratulations. You had ten on the call. How, what did really stood out in their minds that they all felt like they had to congratulate you? Look, 26% revenue growth. Gaining market share in the U.S. and all the international And that's, markets. again, I mean, Abbott Labs is in there. They're yes, a competitive no, company. Yeah. Record profits. We announced and we talked about since our G7 launch in the U.S., we have 18,000 new prescribers in the U.S. since we launched G7 who'd not previously prescribed Dexcom. This is the technology leap that we needed to make to go broader, and we're thrilled with it. Okay, so uh, this, this, I did not know about basal. I just tell people because there's just, it turns out there's another disease that so many people have that can benefit no. from you. Absolutely. As type 2 diabetes progresses, one of the first, uh, one of the more, a treatment before our multiple daily injections is basal insulin only, where you take one shot a day. CMS cleared the way for reimbursement for basal insulin patients because of clinical data that Dexcom provided in a study called Mobile that showed how strong CGM helps these people get their A1Cs down and improves their time and range. So in the U.S., for example, we have over 70% of commercial insurers now covering CGM for basal patients, and CMS covers it as well. So it addresses another 3 to 4 million lives for us in the U.S., and other countries are following suit. France and Japan now cover basal insulin, and we're going to keep pushing others forward. Uh, there are lots of countries that still are kind of backward about this stuff, though, right? There are a lot. There's a lot of room to grow. Right. Now, you, a lot of people don't realize you have a huge amount of cash. You've been doing a repurchase plan, which is very smart. But, I mean, honestly, the amount of cash you have is kind of odd for a big growth company. What's the, what's the broader scheme here? Well, we just opened up a factory in Malaysia that we invested so I remember you, know, you were going to do that. In and building it out. We've announced plans to build another factory over in Europe and Ireland. Okay. We'll invest in that capital. We believe a strong balance sheet is important to us. And having that cash, if there's a technology that is additive to what we do, we'll use it. 
Well, look, I think it's great. I, I know there were, you know, these smart guys were telling me, oh, you got to short this thing, Jim, it's going to be wiped out. I'm like, I know these GLP-1, I mean, to me, the combination of you and GLP-1 would make it so that many lives would be made better and be saved. And it just drove me crazy that people took it the other way, which was wrong. It's going to be a great combination. Absolutely. It will play out over time. I know it will. And you'll be there to benefit from it for your shareholders because you're very pro-shareholder. That's what matters. That's right. And, and i got to tell you, Kevin, in the time that I've known you, everything you said has come true. And that's well, thank amazing. you very much. Kevin Sayer, he is the president and CEO of Dexcom. And I've got to tell you, the record here, I went. remember when it was at five, he told me what could happen with a seven. It just gets better and better. And that's how you make money for shareholders. Man, money's back here. Coming up, spun off by their motherships, these two consumer healthcare stocks now go toe-to-toe on their own. Which one is right for your portfolio? Kramer weighs in next. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to Indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This spring, Johnson Johnson spun off its consumer health business as Kenview. They were following in the footsteps of GlaxoSmithKline, which merged its consumer division with Pfizer's, then spun it off as a company called Halion. I know this hasn't been a great market for consumer packaged goods, names, I mean, largely because most of them are dividend stocks that get less attractive when interest rates are on the rise, as they were for so long. But after today's cooler than expected inflation number that caused Treasury yields to plummet and stocks to rise, you know what? Maybe it's worth circling back to these two consumer health stocks to see which one's better. First, though, you need to know exactly what we're talking about. You know, Halion is Flonase for allergies, Theraflu for cold and flu relief, Advil, Tums, uh, Voltaren for inflammation, Sensodyne for toothpaste, along with Centrum and Emergency for vitamins. How about Kenview? All right, well, they got Tylenol for pain, Nicorep for smoking cessation, Zyrtec for allergies, Neutrogena and Avena for skin and scalp care, Band-Aids, Listerine, and, of course, Johnson's Baby Products. We all know these companies' products. You could argue that Kenview has a more iconic collection of brands, but I like Halion's mix of categories better. They're more specialized, allowing them to become the top dog in various niche markets. In fact, did you know that Halion is the number one player by market share in all five of the categories that it is in? At the same time, Kenview has plenty of health and beauty exposure, which is actually the beauty business. It's not been a good business for them of late. Too competitive. So, with that out of the way, how about some more objective assessment, please? Let's talk numbers. Specifically, organic growth, which is the lifeblood of a consumer products company. In the first three quarters of the year, Halion had an 8% organic growth, with 7 percentage points of that coming from better pricing. 
Over the same period, Kenview had 7.5% organic growth, and every penny of that was from pricing. They actually saw a nearly 1% decline in volume. When you look at the third quarter specifically, Haleon had 5% organic growth, but that's all from pricing, up from 6.6%. Kenview was worse, though, with 3.6% organic growth, thanks to pricing, up 7.1%, which allowed them to therefore offset a 3.5% decline in volume. Yeah, not, really not ideal. That tells me Kenview's getting pushback on its price increases. When they last reported, Haleon reiterated its full-year organic growth forecast of 8%. While Kenview trimmed the high end of its guidance, they're now looking for 5.5 to 6%. So on the organic growth front, Halion is the clear winner, but not by huge margin. Okay, how about earnings? The analysts expect Halion to put up 8.7% earnings growth next year. When it comes to Kenview, the consensus is for less than 1% growth. Halion, clear winner. Next, we need to talk about valuation and dividend yields, which I know you care about a lot. On both of these, it's Kenview. That's the winner. Here's a stock that's been slammed from $27.80 mid-May to around $19. Now, at these levels, it sells for uh, roughly 15 times next year's earnings estimates. Meanwhile, Halion's pulled back mildly from its highs in April and sells for close to 17 times next year's estimates. That said, you could argue that Halion deserves a premium for its faster growth rate. The one area where Kenview's clearly ahead, though, and the one that maybe is most important to you is the dividend. Yeah, the stock sports a 4.1% yield at these levels, while Halion yields just 1.1%. They've said they'd like to grow their payout in the future, but now it's simply not in the same ballpark. In this high interest rate environment, you've also got to consider the balance sheet. But Halion and Kenby are both in pretty good shape. Their parent companies didn't spin them off with too much debt. Whether we're talking the debt-to-equity ratio or the leverage ratio, Kenby has a cleaner balance sheet, although Halion's still in pretty good shape. Finally, we've got a host of miscellaneous considerations that are uh, particular to these two different companies. Considerations like this is a big one. The ownership stakes from their former parent companies. This can be a problem if those companies want to win the register. Here, Kenview has a huge advantage because J&J did an exchange offer over the summer where they traded many of the shares they owned after the spinoff for shares of J&J itself. Now, J&J only has a 9.5% stake in Kenview, so we're not dealing with a huge overhang here. I'm not worried about that at all. Hey, Leon, though different circumstances. Remember, Halion was created when Glaxo's consumer business merged with Pfizer. So they've got two former corporate pairs. Glaxo sold a couple of big slugs of this stock this year. Their ownership is down to 7.4%. But Pfizer, this is important because Pfizer's stock's been a real bow wow. Pfizer still owns roughly a quarter of the company, and that's a serious overhang. If Pfizer ever wants out, and I don't blame them if they want to, look out below. How about litigation exposure? Both of them have it. When Halion was spun off, there was some concern about their exposure to Zantac lawsuits. That's the old heartburn, heartburn drug, which apparently raises your risk of cancer. I told you at the time that Halion wasn't really the target here, and eventually those concerns dissipated. In fact, late last year, um, Sanofi and Pfizer settled a big bellwether Zantac case. <clears throat> and while Claxo Smith, Smith Klein was a co-defendant, Halion wasn't named in any of the cases, and I really like that. Now, excuse me. <coughs> As for Kenview, when it was spun off from J&J earlier this year, we were told that the company was indemnified from all costs related to these J&J big tax lawsuits in the U.S. and Canada. But they still have exposure to cases brought by other countries. Even though Kenview insisted they're covered, we continue to see the company popping up as a defendant in many of the lawsuits. Maybe it doesn't matter. <coughs> it's still scary. Making matters worse, in September, we started hearing that Kenview might have exposure to a Tylenol-related class action lawsuit. The plaintiffs say taking Tylenol during pregnancy can cause birth defects. Extremely bad if true. 
While Kenview owns Tyler now, J&J would be on the hook for this, too. But who knows how bad it could get? Put it all together, and if you're worried about legal risk, then Halion's clearly the way to go. You never want to end up playing litigation roulette, which is exactly what's happened with Kenview's former parent company, J&J. Oh, by the way, for the record, make this very clear. I am very concerned, and club members, please listen if you still own the stock. I am very concerned about J&J's exposure to these tax lawsuits, and they continue to be more than just a thorn in the side of the company. As a matter of fact, I think the company isn't nearly as worried as it should be. Finally, let's talk innovation. While both of these companies have stellar portfolios of brands, nobody in this industry can afford to rest on their laurels. They have to keep investing in innovation to keep the product mix fresh. And on this front, again, after speaking with Haley and CEO Brian McNamara last week, I like what he had to say about new flavors, formats, classic products, think honey flavor, Robitussin, travel size, Thomas packages. I give Haley on the edge. Your bottom line, I hope this exercise can help you compare stocks in the same industry. When you look at the growth rate, the end markets, and the risk, Haley on is clearly the way to go, even if it's a little more expensive than Kenview, but got a much smaller yield. For now, I think Haley is the best pure play in the consumer health package goods aisle. It's the one that I would choose. Let's take phone calls. Let's go to Susan in Oregon. Susan. Hey there, Jim. Susan, hey, man. Booyah. Booyah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How's it going there? Couldn't be better, thank you. Um, well, I you know, maybe talk about stocks, too. You know. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, what a day. Oh, yeah. Quite um, the day. Quite the day. We've been, we've been a member of your club for eight months and really enjoying it. Oh, then please come to our meeting tomorrow at noon. And thank you for those kind comments. I tried, I set that thing up to make people into better money managers. That's what it's about. I've made you into better money manager. I sure hope. How can I help you? Yes, you have. Well, back when um, COVID was happening, um, my husband and I were thinking of buying Moderna. And it, at that time, I think it was at 37. And, of course, we didn't pull the trigger. Right. And and so now we're looking at it at, and just wondering what your thoughts are on buying Moderna. Okay, Susan, here's the problem. And, and I, I think Stefan Benz, so I think the world of him in February came up with a vaccine during that terrible year. But here's the problem. He has not followed up with these uh, personalized cancer vaccines that I'm looking for. And until he does, this stock is going to be stuck in a rut. And I don't want you to be in that rut with Stefan, even though I like him very much. Let's go to, and thank you for the kind comments about the club. Noon tomorrow, join Lee in California, Lee. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Booyah. Um I'm looking for a long-term speculative investment position. And with the successful completion of the FDA advisory committee meeting and upcoming December 8th FDA target action date for Exocell to address sickle cell disease, Jim, what are your thoughts on ticker CRSP, CRISPR Therapeutics? All right, you got a pure spec there. You know, I don't recommend stocks of companies that are losing money. That company is losing a boatload of money. So you are on your own on that one because I cannot violate my rules. That company's losing too much, and it is very speculative. Okay, for now, when I go against Kenview versus Halion, I come up with Halion, and Kenview comes up short. But I have to tell you, if you like a nice dividend, Kenview's pretty darn good. All right, much more man my dad, including my exclusive with Vera Mobility. You called it in, alerts the name, as so many of our callers know so much more than we do, and they just reported a beat and raise, and it looks like the stock's going higher. I'm going to get the update from the CEO. Then, this earnings season's gotten a bad rap, but I'm seeing things in a rosier light. 
I'm sharing why I think sentiment may have overshadowed the data, and it was a part of the reason why we had such a big up today. And of course, all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. summer, I got a call about a little company called Vera Mobility, which makes technology for the transportation industry, everything from helping businesses manage their fleets of cars and trucks to helping local governments enforce traffic laws. I said I was intrigued, wanted to do some homework. In response, the CEO actually came on the show a week later telling a very compelling story. Since then, Vera Mobility has rallied nearly 7% during the S&P, up just 1%. And a lot of that came last Friday after the company reported a very solid beat and raise quarter, which, you know, we look for all the time. Same time, they've gotten big opportunities from some state and local governments that are approving automated traffic rule enforcement. Don't take it from me, though. Let's check in right here with David Roberts. He's the president and CEO of Vera Mobility to get a better read of the situation. Mr. Roberts, welcome back to Mid Money. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, I've got to tell you, Dave, you had a quarter that showed me that there is going to be an increased amount of both uh, safety when it comes to driving, but also fleet management, Mm -hmm. where people don't realize that these rent-a-car companies were getting crushed until you came in on on tolls and people skipping. You saved a lot of money for these companies. Yeah, we uh, we try to we try to make life safer and easier for our customers through a portfolio of technology helping local cities make it safer on their roads, and we make it easier for renters of rental cars to access toll roads, which gets them to where they want to go safer and easier as well. Now, uh, almost every rental car company has uh, decided to use you. Is that because it would be too expensive for them to do it, or they don't have enough expertise? There is a lot of behind the scenes to make it work, including integrations with 54 toll authorities. They're not just one toll authority. You've got to go to all 54. And because rental car vehicles move around, they don't, start, they don't stay in Florida. They right. go from Florida to Texas to California, which means you have to have all those. So we built a proprietary network that gives them access that they don't have to replicate themselves. Well, and that's also something that uh, benefits you in the travel boom. Rather than buying a rental car company, which, by the way, have not been that great, you have participated in the travel boom, haven't you? That's right. I mean, travel has been great recovery this year. This will be the new watermark since pre-COVID days. Uh, and we look to next year and say, we, you know, we don't see anything on the horizon that's going to make travel go down. We, we feel quite bullish about it for next year. Totally agree. Now, automated traffic enforcement, states are approving this. It seems like I don't under, maybe you can explain, but why, are, why aren't all states doing it? Well, there, uh, historically, there's been some pushback related to automated enforcement. But I think what's happening is uh, red states and blue states alike are starting to understand that, one, these things work. They change driver behavior. It makes communities safer. And it allows police to focus on the bigger problems at hand. And they can rely on a very friendly uh, capability in our technology. It does seem strange that uh, you said some pushback. There are people who believe that there should be a police officer. I mean, look, I, I don't know. I just came back from Italy where there's all they have is this. There's yeah. no police. And people think, oh, I can get away with anything. It's the opposite. The cameras, the cameras are they're irrefutable. Yeah, they, they work really, really well. Uh, and the police officers come behind it because it lets them focus on the things that really matter in the right. community. And we can show measurable results in terms of safety. Now, uh, I think there's also... Uh, there's a division that's parking, and it was not necessarily a standout division uh, this quarter, but U.S. drivers spend an astounding amount of time looking for parking spots, don't they? <laughs> they do, and in particular at universities, where I have several kids myself that are always looking for parking or getting parking tickets, but yes, they do. Okay, well, it's up to 17 hours annually just searching for, well, if we can do, we can do, if you can do anything to make that smaller, that's maybe exactly. you can, I don't know, that would be terrific. 
Now, how about states that are uh, on the cusp or are just uh, starting to think about automated tra- uh, traffic enforcement and how you have uh, seem to have the edge because you've got the expertise? Yeah, I mean, we've been working. Uh, we work with uh, states across the country to help them enable this legislation. And just this year alone, when you look at Florida, Colorado, um, Connecticut and California recently all have opened up new legislation to try out new use cases for photo enforcement. Well, talk about the school bus use case because nothing's more precious than than kids, and yet people don't seem to respect what what could go wrong here. Yeah. Well, and we have video cameras on the side of every bus, so we see the film when people do ignore the stop arm being extended and the lights are on. So. That is one of the few products where we actually have people call our office and say, hey, I want this on my kid's bus. Well, I mean, I've got to tell you that I think that, again, I, I try to figure out who wouldn't, what state wouldn't want this. But then I started thinking, OK, wait a second. Maybe there's some people who say we're about to have an assisted driving revolution where people won't go, where it'll be uh, cars that are driven and they don't go over the speed limit. They don't make mistakes. It's something you should be thinking about. Well, it's certainly something that's out there. I think uh, we've been dealing with that ever since we went public over five years ago. And the reality is uh, fully autonomous driving is probably a few decades away. Uh, So it's not something that we necessarily are concerned with in the near term. But at the same time, 43,000 people reading your deck did die in motor vehicle traffic crashes uh, in the U.S. in 2021. Highest 16 years of 2022, a little bit better. But you do it. Your your company helps bring that number down, wouldn't you say? That's exactly right. We, we try to work with local communities, and we can measurably show that we reduce accidents at key intersections. We slow people down in school zones. Then one last thing. I know that uh, you were a SPAC. I've been very critical of SPACs because there's all these different things, like they have warrants. You don't really know how many shares there. You are one of very few companies that is what we call completely de-SPAC'd. That's exactly right. We just uh, celebrated de-SPAC'ing on October 18th. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, we were one of the very few companies that had a strong business plan, great customers, and a great team to deliver. And because of that, year over year, we've continued to generate the cash flow. The warrants are fully expired. So now everybody can calculate our share count a little easier. Frankly, you were what was supposed to happen. There were supposed to be these needs. Companies get the money. They do the right thing. And it didn't work except for you. And I'm trying. And DraftKings, the only one that's I know. I recommended both of them. That's David Roberts, Vera President and CEO, and the symbol is V-R-R-M. Look, we need this stuff. I mean, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? Mad Money's back at the break. Coming up, pop open those umbrellas and tee up your toughest questions. Kramer takes on all comers in the lightning round. Next. It is time to start with the lightning round. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the lightning round. Let's start with Janet in Massachusetts. Janet. Hi, Jim. Hey, Jen. What's up? Jim. Yeah. I'd like your thoughts on HubSpot. Okay, it's it's like a mini Salesforce. It's got incredible growth, and people like growth again. I think the stock will rally from here. Let's go to Jim in New Jersey. Jim. Hey, Jim. Uh, Just want to say thanks for all you do to teach us about all this stuff. You're awesome. Thank Um, you. (laughs) Jim, I own a few different lithium stocks, and I was wondering if you think there's still money to be made in the lithium space. Uh, specifically Albemarle. No, uh, I think the lithium stocks, I think lithium's coming down in price and there's no reversing it. Just kind of not the right place to be. Let's go to Gary in Pennsylvania. Gary. Hi, Jim. Booyah. Booyah, Gary. Long time viewer and listener. Thank you. 
Thanks for taking my call. Of course. I bought, uh, back in the end of August, I bought uh, not too many shares, about 200 shares of Chewy for a little over $25 and change. And I'm wondering what you think of the prospects of this stock. I think Chewy uh, has, is bottoming here, but I just don't know much upside because I think people can get the stuff from Amazon. Let's go to Jesse in California. Jesse. Yeah, Kramer, first time caller, and I always watch you all the time. Thank you. Thank hey, you for I, watching. I got, a, I got a military stock called DRS. It's hit its, it's hit its 52-week high. Do you think it keeps on going for Yes, I do. I think that the prospects are really great for it. We got a budget resolution, too. I think it's not an expensive stock relative to its peers, given its growth rate. Let's go to Mark in Wisconsin. Mark. Dr. Kramer, thank you for taking my call. Of course. Thank you. I currently own this stock. I am reinvesting all my dividends. Should I be be, should I be buying more NYCB, New York Community, Community Bank? Bank? Uh, no. Uh, I just think even with lower rates, it's just not going. It's just a tough, tough uh, environment. I got enough problems owning Morgan Stanley for my travel trust. Let's go to Hugo in Ohio. Hugo. Jim. Great yes, to you be go. back on your wonderful educational show. I thank, thank you. you for all you've done. Thank you. How can I help? Okay, straightforward question. Brown Foreman. With the Look, it's a real good company. Back. Yeah, it's a good company. But you know what? I do believe that as soon as someone starts doing the GLP-1 trial for heavy drinkers, I think people are going to say, I got to get out of Brown Foreman. And, and if it, I wouldn't worry about it if it weren't for the fact that the, we call the Browns and the Clears are not selling well, and they make a lot of the Browns. Let's go to Robert in Florida. Robert. Happy Taco Tuesday, Jim. I forgot. What's up? <laughs> uh, speaking of AI and what it's doing for, for all kinds of technology today, including biotech, uh, what are your thoughts on SRPT? I don't own it. No, I just I'm not there for those guys. I mean, they, they you know, they're just losing a huge amount of money. Uh, they've broken a lot of hearts. I'm not going there on that one. I'm sorry. Let's go to Rick in Washington. Rick. Hi, Jim. Big fan here. Thank you for everything you do. Oh, thank you. Uh, thank you. So, just want to hear your thoughts on C3 AI that seems to be working. You know, with what they, you know they're an AI. You know, they, look, they're not delivering. They're losing a fortune. I, look, I happen to like the founder, Tom Siebel. I've known him for years and years. But there's too much hype there and too much hope there. And I don't like either age. Let's go to Clarence in Kentucky. Clarence. Hey, Jim. Uh, Clarence from Kentucky. All right. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Fair enough. How about U.S. bank stock? If you're U.S. Gonna buy, bank corp. If you're going to buy a regional bank, USB, you could do a lot worse than that. I know that's damning with faint praise, but it does have a 5% yield, and it does very, seems very safe to me. How about Richard in California? Richard! Hey, Jim. Hey, I've had this stock since the first of the year. You think it has legs? Our crowd strikes. I, I think it's had legs. I mean, this thing has just been an incredible horse. George Kurtz, I've been a backer of George Kurtz the whole darn way, and he continues to do well for us, and I say he will continue to do well. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by Charles Schwab. Coming up, say nay to the naysayers. Kramer shines a light on what's worked this earnings season. Next. If 
And for today, I keep hearing how we've seen a real slowdown this earnings season. Yet, other than big ticket discretionary items, I certainly didn't see it. In fact, aside from Whirlpool and then drug company Pfizer, I've been very impressed with pretty much every company that's reported so far. It's almost as though all of these earnings commentary is coming from a parallel universe, one that's really much worse than the And look, I'm not just going by gut feeling. According to data from Elseg, the S&P 500 earnings season so far, and we've about 90% through it, has surprisingly surpassed the previous record set in the second quarter of 2022. Don't believe it? I think it pays to look at the meeting of the order because it shows you how long the commentators have been and maybe how today's rally makes a ton of sense. First, let's take six of the Magnificent Seven. And we've heard that we've heard from so far. We got one solid beat and raise from Microsoft. Hey, don't forget, this is a $2.7 trillion company. That's a beat and raise. Amazon gave us a dramatic series of cost cuts with new initiatives that stem their sales slowdown, including in their big cloud business. That mattered. While the stock swooned immediately in response, that's largely because the backdrop was so grim since then Amazon's more than made up for the losses. I'd argue that Alphabet had a good quarter, but management did a very poor job of explaining on the conference call. That's really about it. If they'd given us a good explanation for what went wrong with Google Cloud, I think people would have said the stock should roar. As for Apple, I do not understand how its quarter was interpreted as a miss. Remember, this quarter kicked off with a monster story about how China planned to crack down on government employees who use iPhones. And almost everybody's a government employee there somewhere or another. But given that Apple took market share in China, that's, that story was just wrong. And look, there were only nine shopping days during the quarter where you could buy an iPhone 15. Things should look better in the current quarter. Many analysts commented on weak sales for iPads, wearables, and Macs, but did they bother to focus on the booming service revenue stream? Not at all. Apple's typically followed by hardware people. They don't appreciate the value of service side. Maybe that's why so many people told you to trade it. Sell, 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 Don't own it. Sure, Tesla missed, but you have to ask yourself, why is the stock coming back if the quarter was so bad? Tesla's now up 18% so far this month. Meanwhile, beyond the Magnificent 7, we've had remarkable quarters from both AMD and Intel. Very good news for the semi-space. What more could you ask? How about the industrials? I saw the fewest misses in ages. Aerospace, incredibly strong. G, best in show. Boeing was obviously good. People yawned. Healthcare was a huge bright spot when it comes to numbers, as the insurers and many of the medical stocks put up terrific, terrific reports. But they were totally blinded by concerns about this new class of weight loss drug shrinking their end markets. Same thing with the food companies. They deliver for the most part other than Campbell's Soup. So did the restaurant stocks. But then again, these weight loss drug problems hurt their stocks. Only Chipotle seemed to transcend the negativity. What else didn't deliver? Any company that had a ton of sales from COVID. That includes medical machines, drugs, vaccine plays. They got trashed. What can you expect? Big ticket items did get hurt, but they're still in the post-pandemic hangover. That's why I singled out Whirlpool at the top of this piece for a quarter brift of sales. Of course, with rates going lower, even Whirlpool can rally. And it did. Despite the dramatic uptick in mortgage rates during the quarter, I'd argue that the home builders had the best estimate beats of any industry. Think Lenar, Pulte, DR Horton, and Toll Brothers. Nothing short of phenomenal. And with long-term interest rates coming down today, they finally got their due in some of the most gigantic moves I have ever seen in their stocks or in any stocks, except for takeovers. How about the banks? All right, with the exception of Morgan Stanley, they actually did meet or beat the numbers. J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, all very good. Nobody cared at the time. But with long rates coming down, oh, I think they'll start. Who disappointed for real? Exxon and Chevron. But the rest of the oils actually did outperform. So did the pipeline plays and the drillers. Utilities, good numbers, crushed by the bond market until today when the utilities had their best session in the year. My conclusion, when you look at all of the groups, this was not a disappointing earnings season at all. We saw lots of good numbers, but many stocks were crushed by interest rate worries or weight loss drug concerns. And one of those problems is suddenly going away today, and the other is so overblown that it makes me laugh these days that it frightens so many good people out of some terrific stocks. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise you to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now. 
All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash disclaimer. Hi, I'm Cindy Lauper. My scalp was covered with psoriasis. Felt like I was trapped between a rock and a hard place. Then I started Cosentix. Cosentix Secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe black psoriasis 300 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or 1-844-COSENTIX. Cosentix works for me. Ask your doctor about Cosentix.